Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. Uh, sorry to say that we do not have a new episode this week, despite almost trying our best to do so. Uh, we hope that there'll be a new episode uh, either next week or the week after. We promise uh, that we will get back to our regular scheduling soon. But until then, we don't want you to be stuck without us. So we've decided to release uh, some bonus extras. Uh, so these are the extras, which normally those who pay a monthly fee a fee sounds a bit formal, doesn't it? A monthly donation, a monthly pity money. Uh, those that, that uh, chip in a few dollars a month at buymeacoffee.com have access to a Dropbox that we fill with all the bits that uh, we couldn't fit into the main episode and also some extra chat and also some stuff where the guest is like, I don't really want this to be out there in the public, but we don't mind if it's like a handful of your friends that listen to it. So that's that's what the extras are. Um, and so we one of our favourite extras uh, from the past few months uh, was with Chelsea Schneider, uh, who I think I've pronounced that wrong. Schneider. Bobby always does the guest name pronunciation. I've never had to do that. Chelsea Schneider. Anyway, uh, that was uh, a fascinating episode. Episode 83. Go back to that if you haven't heard it. Um, it's all to do with uh, comfort women, uh, which is a term that we discussed. Might not be an appropriate term, uh, a bit too euphemistic. Um, and a big furore that happened uh, in academia. So go and back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it. If you have listened to it and you remember it, jump straight into these extras. Uh, they lasted for an hour. We, we, we wanted to talk to her for longer. Uh, so there's just loads of interesting stuff here. And we hope uh, that this will tide you over. Tide is a boating word. Um, so I could have made a joke out of that, but I didn't. And you've got to respect me for that. Um, so I hope that will tide you over uh, until normal service resumes. Um, and thank you very much in the interim to all those who <laughs> listened to our plea last week for money. Uh, some of you actually did it, which is very, very kind. And we'll thank you properly uh, in person uh, when normal episodes resume. So with that, please enjoy the bonus extras from episode 83. Also, Bobby is one buzz cut away from being an ultra... Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember I used to do that joke about myself on stage when I had the yeah. two-block the, the two block haircut? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I used to do a joke where I said I had a little trouble at the barber. I went in and said, I just want something that says, nice fashion sense. I think he heard, I just want something that says, white nationalist. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in Japan, you could just be like, white fashion <laughs> sense. You know, yeah. like, they're like, they're like, uh, nice fascio. All right, well, let's go for but it. But there is, there is an overlap between kind of like the white nationalist movement in, in the West that looks at Japan as a symbol of, you know, strict uh, immigration controls and racial purity yes. and things like that. And yes. they, they admire it, right? The tribe, right? I mean, there was that book, like the tribe, and it very much emphasized that, like, if you're going to have a heterogeneous society you're going to have conflict. Um, and, and I don't actually even know if that's false. Like, I mean, they're like, but I, but I also think that conflict mm. is not inherently bad. I mean, violent conflict um, is not great, but contentious discussion, mm. uh, disagreement, awkwardness, yeah. I'm fine with it. Um, uh, and, and I think it's necessary uh, but yes, Japan does become this place. And then because in Japan, there is a ambivalence that, that historian John Dower has written about during the wartime period. I mean, he compared the wartime propaganda of the United States about the Japanese with the wartime propaganda of the Japanese about the Americans and the wartime propaganda of, of the U S about Japan is just straight forward racist which might oh. also explain why it's easier to screen in twitter for that kind mm. of harassment i mean it's just like you know like nip the nips 
never search for that in YouTube <laughs> in front of your students with that up on the screen because that Bugs Bunny cartoon Nip the Nips is not the first yeah, hit you're no. going to get. Just from experience. <laughs> no, noted. Yes. So so that's really like overtly racist because Americans like created the game, you know, in a sense. Whereas the Japanese propaganda about the Americans has this ambivalence. I mean, it's kind of this white demons and it emphasizes a lot more Japanese purity um, mm. and and that purity as a reason that the Japanese also should lead, you know, in Asia, right, once they get rid of the white devils. And it is this ambivalence because they've adopted certain kinds of technologies from the West and then and then try to employ them with with Japanese spirit to lead the the benighted benighted is not the word be lighted but yeah. I don't know I don't know <laughs> <laughs> can, can I attempt a, a nuanced question for the first time ever on this show which is you, you speak about the different Japanese attitudes or the different versions of Japanese racism like the American racism seems very very clear right like these Japanese are beneath us Right, mm -hmm. yeah. it, it, it's it's a very like front on attack. Yeah. But the Japanese propaganda against the Americans or the West is a bit more neutral, and oh no, sorry, neutral. I didn't mean to say neutral. I meant to say nuanced. And by that I mean it was. It seems to be that that's the Japanese approach is praising the Japanese more than it is dissing the Western folk. Yeah. And is, is there something? Is there an argument to be made? And again, I'm not going to do it myself, but is there an argument to be made that this falls part of this like general weird hierarchy where whiteness is still supreme and Asianness is a bit under that and then blackness is under that? And let me be very clear, these are not my views. Uh, <laughs> I need to, just in case anyone plans to clip this out of context and, and but right, that that's obviously like a hierarchy that like, is like clearly, uh, you know, has has been pervasive for for decades. Could that have, could that hierarchy have still existed back then, which made this kind of propaganda really challenging, where yeah. there was still this inbuilt sense of yeah. deference towards yeah. the whites? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I think race science is constructed around white supremacy and created the colonial order and the rationale for being able to make chattels you know treat people like they're not mm. human and make chattel mm. slaves out of people who are not europeans mm. and not considered white and this is also why it's really hard to undo whiteness right like because it still has this universalizing um meaning because because that is the the, the modern world is constructed around that kind of race science and that kind of racial hierarchy and i think the ambivalence comes from the fact that they're has long been this urge to escape Asia, escape being Asian, so as not to be colonized by the West, mm. um, but also to, and and so in a sense to become kind of honorary whites as Japanese were sort of recognized as being in apartheid South Africa. Mm. Um, uh, and, uh, and as uh, someone, uh, a gay guy from Brazil told me that on Grindr in Brazil, he often sees... Japanese gay men saying that they're white on Grinder in Brazil. I don't huh. know, <laughs> like or or because because these, they're like, well, I'm not, I'm are, not wow. Asian, I'm Japanese. Oh, I see. Um, wow. Again, very scientific, 
full survey of all gay men ever on Grinder. It was very anecdotal, right, right. but right. But I'm happy to do that work. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. But so, does this get us any closer to why why the Japanese right wing ends up with these pet conservative white men? Where's the alignment? Where does this come from? Why why is this yeah, guy so doing the Japanese right wing's work? Oh man, so this guy, this guy, I I don't know, and that that is really an open question, and I don't know him personally. And and I've actually heard from a lot of people who've had like really positive interactions with him. I've heard from people who've had negative interactions with him. Um, you know, I don't know who he is as a person. I'm not really sure um, how much he actively affiliates with certain right wing groups. I mean, at at this point, he's writing a lot for Japan Forward, which is Sanke Shimbun blog. Um, uh, how much he actually. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. There, there is evidence in in his work that he sees, um, you know, the sort of quote unquote PC cancel culture, which is a total, mm. um, uh, I don't know, dog whistle. I don't know yeah, what yeah. to call it exactly. But he sees this as as inhibiting free and easy discussion about issues in the states, whereas you can have these discussions in Japan. And I don't know. He seems to be having these discussions with people who are very much. Uh, of a certain frame and a certain yeah. mindset. So so I don't know. I mean, he's not quite Texas Daddy. Then again, one of his address speeches is now on Texas Daddy's YouTube channel. Mm. So what but, but, measure but, of this but, is co-optation? What measure of this is, you know, willing co-optation? Yeah. I don't know. But what is the correct way of dealing with this? Because, I mean, this is something... I mean, for, for, for what it's worth, you might not know this, but I used to be a stand-up comedian before that was illegal. And I mean, s something which, like, just, any just artist for or anyone... context, uh, it's not illegal yeah. for everyone to be a stand-up comedian. It's just illegal for Ali to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> before, before, before my government made a ruling. Uh, no, but it, it's something that anyone that creates anything, right? And, and I'm sure that's equally true for authors and academics. I'm, I'm sure you have the same feeling that once your book was published to the world, you're thinking... Well, now that's that's up to my that's up to them now, right? It's okay, it's a it's yeah. a it's a really daunting feeling, and something that uh you know so, something that you have to anticipate is that your work might resonate with people that you don't like. Yeah. Right. Like it's like okay, I have to make peace with the fact that uh in any given audience, if I'm performing in a comedy club where there's 300 people, there's bound to be like 100 of them who I probably would not like as people, or you know, there's there's going to be like 10 who are complete dicks. There's probably going to be one who's like got a a prison sentence in the past like like we just have to accept the fact that our work is going to be enjoyed by people who are rubbish right that that's obviously fine but the risk is that it kind of the work gets co-opted and used and so you know i i can think of um you know i i i think of like someone like jordan peterson for example who i don't imagine he went into this expecting to build the fan base that he did Right. Like, I, I imagine that, that he thought of himself as a serious academic. And I totally believe that the strength of his convictions, right, about about certain topics. What I don't believe is that he anticipated this groundswell of lots and lots of a very broad church of people with s some of them with, uh, you know, qu questionable motivations co-opting his work. And then obviously what he's done then mm -hmm. is run with it a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, I'm not, not not looking to, to defend to defend him. Um, and so the. The question that I want to ask you is, how should we be dealing with people 
like Ramsayer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, look, we've, we're talking about him on the show. We've, we're now talking about him again. So obviously he matters, right? Like we're in, we're, we are unable to ignore him. And the reason we're unable to ignore him is his work has uh, been co-opted by other people who we do need to listen to, right? Like it's just, it's spread and it's, it's affected the timbre of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what's been interesting is trying to go to the roots of how this particular article passed peer review because I really don't care if he's blogging about this stuff. I don't really care if he's writing about it in Japan Forward. Japan Forward is not written for me. Um, what I do care about is is a certain level of academic standards, mm, right? right? And um, so maybe I'm going to take your, your question into a little bit, a slightly different direction, but to say that um, I believe what he wrote in his article about the comfort women was academic misconduct. Um, And I believe that because of the way that he twisted his sources and his evidence and he can blog about whatever he wants. Um, So how did that happen? Um, Well, I think that that does get you into these difficult questions about disciplines. I mean, I'm a historian and I recognize that, um, you know, economics papers don't deal with historical sources or contextualization in the same way that my discipline would demand. Um, I also recognize that not everybody really understands Asian history. uh, And that seems to have been a problem here that maybe people just didn't really know that this was a, that this, this is not a historical situation that can be resolved in an eight page paper. Mm. And that that an eight page paper comes along pretending that it can resolve it. It's just not possible, you know? Um, Mm. How, that you can't control your words. Of course you can't control your words. But I guess what I'm trying to say is this is maybe why um, community is important uh, and why one charismatic uh, speaker uh, can be incredibly unreliable. And maybe to bring this around to Hashimoto Kotoe, I mean, I don't know what point she started at. I don't know who she is. Um, I don't, you know, but I do know that uh, she seems to be responding. I mean, Twitter has embedded in it uh, this kind of system that rewards you for towing the line of what is just uh, provocative enough, right? And so it has this kind of embedded reward system Mm. um, that we should be skeptical of. And like Jordan Peterson, again, I mean, we're talking about him because um, if he wrote boring stuff and talked about boring stuff, I mean, we wouldn't care and, and maybe he get in, gets intoxicated from the provocation. I don't really know. I don't know what Ramsay is in it for either. But I think that um, this is why community discussions yeah. and not just having one person who's very charismatic and guides the discussion and, and creates very provocative uh, statements is not enough. And I will also say, just to just to say this, that the the guy in the audience who served a prison sentence may not be the one who's gonna <laughs> take your words in the wrong yeah. way. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, or right, like right. take him and run yeah. with it in a way that's awful. Yeah. So just that's for yeah. him. That's for that guy. The, the yeah. issue, I guess, then is that it's not this one person with a awful opinion or a bad take or somebody who is just a, a terrible person speaking their terrible mind. It's that this was published as an academic scholarly article yeah. mm. and that that gave it this weight, that gave it this credibility that it shouldn't have had had it been properly vetted. Yeah. Yes. And, and that 
And I, I think that that argument would probably be accepted by a very, very wide range of people, wouldn't it? That you know, while there might be attempts to discredit him on the basis that this is not his issue to deal with or on the basis that it's offensive uh, to the to the survivors. And I think there are definitely arguments. There are definitely credible arguments along along those lines that that, that should be made. I, I think the one which which has the broadest appeal to people from all sides of the political spectrum is, well, he's not done his job properly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I think I think if 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 um you know if at least if we can agree, but but then that that only really solves it in the context of academia. Yeah, though, yeah. It? Like what if what if yeah. he writes? Yeah, what if he writes a blog like you said? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, be, we know that. Be, uh, please don't be dismissive about bloggers, by the way, because that is on the same spectrum as podcasters. You no, know, so okay. So <laughs> choose, your words, choose your words very carefully. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. So so. I mean, and I would say again. We know that people learn history probably more from the internet than they do from their textbooks. Um, so I don't want to dismiss that kind of popular culture or that kind of communication. And I think that um, academics really need to try to learn how to communicate their findings. Um, Thanks uh, for coming on the show, by the way. This is, this is part of it. This is. I'm, I'm working till, really hard on my... Wait till COED Revolution my... gets that JBRC bump uh, where you get notified that somebody <laughs> read the free chapter tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I really, uh, I really working on my public <laughs> communication. So, um, thank you to everyone part of this. Well, um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, all you have to do is be on Twitter, and then you're a public intellectual. So that's yeah. cool. I think that's easier than like trying to get an editorial in the New York Times. So that's nice. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's. I think. Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I think. Well, uh, but basically, uh, well, I, I my my response to your point is, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a great argument, right? This guy hasn't done his job because that's such an easy kind of open, closed, yeah. right? Look, he's not met the standard of of academic rigor that it's expected of, uh, that's expected of him. Also, the people that were involved in the peer review, something went wrong. There's like that 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 system. I mean, generally, I mean, I'm I'm sure you have lots of other opinions about peer review as everyone does, but you know, like that system's broken. But then. It still then says, okay, well, that's that's now dealt with, but there's still the issue of these people have other platforms. Yeah, and I mean, I I, I would also say that like, as I as I'm like kind of hearing what I said, like put back to me, I would also say that I mean, I just said that there are voices that we didn't listen to in the past that were kind of stomped up by these gatekeeping. I will also say that, um, you know, these these gatekeeping mechanisms can um prevent scholarship that that is uh a little bit more a, a little bit different a little bit more provocative sometimes sometimes from getting through but i mean the level of academic misconduct in this article is not about interpretation it is not about i mean it is about in some senses citing page 500 of a 300 page book um no. which <laughs> is, is that true no literally literally yes <laughs> or, or brilliant yeah. brilliant you know, or I mean, just like one of the sources major, he only introduces two case studies. And one of those case studies is a is a book that has been translated into English. We didn't search for this source. His citation led us to this mm. source. And the story is completely different and people can read it in English. Some of the other sources are only really in Japanese. So that's harder. Or, um, or allowing uh, a child to give sexual consent. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, when she said she yeah. didn't, <laughs> she said in her in her in her testimony, the source we were led back to, 
She was she was ten when her brother sold her to a brothel owner. But she she, so she willingly did entered into sign a contract. contract. Yeah. Oh, but she like knew it. She even at ten she knew what the work entailed. Yeah. We we originally were going to just write an article that was kind of a rebuttal to the arguments. And again, we started looking at the sources and what we saw was so egregious that we wanted to keep it as clinical mm. as possible because um, there there is a lot of this history that can be interpreted and can be discussed and more nuanced discussions of the comfort woman history have had difficulties in South Korea and Japan and the United States. Um, but we need to be able to have more nuanced discussions yeah. about the history. Um, and some of that has to do with misogyny. Some of that has to do with, with how victims have to be so pure that you they can't make any mistakes or else they haven't been victimized. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's just you go to the sources, the page numbers are wrong, the page you go to, it it directly contradicts the argument, things like that. Well, Ali said that that's the more effective way, that that's something that people on all sides can kind of look at it and agree, okay, well, if he's not doing his job, then this proves it. But I, I kind of think that these issues, the people on either sides of them are so divided that mm -hmm. one of the effects this might have is for you to call him out legitimately for these issues and the people on the other side to go, oh, he's being canceled. Oh, he's being... He's got this left-wing backlash, and people are are fighting against somebody who stood up for us and spoke the truth. And some of that is in bad yes, faith, is... but some people believe that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that one of the problems is is that this is happening in English. Um, we have not translated our our rebuttal because it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work to to write, um, uh, and and actually, I, I've really come to appreciate more than even before the importance of translation mm. for communicating these things into multiple languages and translation is tricky because it creates slippages and even more room for um sloppy work you know kind of mistakes or <laughs> interpretations um but it it is very important to be you know speaking of communicating between kind of academia and and more popular platforms but um you know these languages as well and i mean it's already been We've already been ourselves and other people who have who have objected to this article have already been called part of of cancel culture. Yeah. So you're you're no stranger to uh, getting backlash for expressing opinions that some people might think are anti-Japan or just reflect poorly on yeah. Japan. Have you noticed a lot of yeah. other colleagues or other people in your in your sphere that get that same kind of attention? They get well. So I. I have some experience, but I'm fairly new to it. Um, and what I was told before we uh, went ahead with our just fact-checking report is that um, I was a little concerned because I'm physically at a university in Japan. Mm. Um, but it, it's the it's 2021, not like 1998 or whatever now. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our female Japanese member of our group, the one Japanese member uh got a lot of backlash and that seemed to really fit a pattern that we'd been mm. uh warned about um it's kind of easier to dismiss people who aren't japanese as being anti-japanese yeah um 
uh, and some suggestions that we were, you know, in it for a real long game, like learning Japanese and learning Japanese history uh, to, yeah, yeah. I it's don't the, know, publish something. <laughs> it's the conspiracy theory element where it's like somebody has come. And it's so funny because it's such yeah. projection. It's such projection. Yeah. They're accusing you of essentially what they're doing, which is yeah. cultivating these pet, these pet Westerners to be yeah. their mouthpieces. And then they yeah. turn around and accuse you of having learned Japanese and spent your life dedicated to Japan yeah. to serve a, a what a South Korean agenda. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the irony is all of us have been funded by the Japanese government. Um, you know, and I mean, I pay, I actually, at this point, I've actually paid enough taxes that I've paid back whatever money I got from the Japanese government. Um, but, uh, but the Japanese, our one Japanese member got accused of being, you know, a race traitor yeah. and, uh, and then, you know, of being not Japanese, but being secretly Korean, um, <laughs> as if you, as if that's the go-to, you know, you're, yeah, as if your affiliations have to map perfectly onto your passport or your ethnicity. Yeah. yeah. So I used to I used to do like Koksai Koryu talk, like international exchange mm -hmm. talk on my YouTube channel. And I used to get a lot of uh like hate. people yeah, a lot of hate. People sharing <laughs> my stuff on like uh Nichan and places like that. And then they'd come in droves to the comments. And Wow. I did see that. I saw that idea of they go, well, you're American and you're criticizing Japan and America's so much worse. Or what about your own country? And they had not watched the video in which I was very clear to say, like, this is not a Japanese problem. This is worse in America. But yeah, but I, I think there's a certain aspect of Japanese society that doesn't understand that another country might not have the same attachment to a national identity. Like if you come at me and talk shit about America, I'm I'm gonna go as I do. Yeah, <laughs> you got a point there. I'm not gonna get offended by it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for example, uh, you know, the United States recently said that they were going to recognize the Armenian genocide formally, and uh, then Erdogan, uh, president of Turkey, said, "Well, then we're going to recognize the Native American genocide formally." <laughs> And um, and as an American, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's like recognize let's formally recognize yeah. all these historical genocides and all these bloody um, uh, histories. And so, um, yeah, I have a really hard time feeling invested in that. That reminds me of that. Um, there's some cartoon where where it's like you have to it's, it's a really popular meme, but you have to pick one button to push. And the idea was that Republicans mm. are saying, if you're going to come after Trump and try to try to go after Trump for his sexual harassment issues, you've got to throw out Bill Clinton, too. And it's liberals being like, yes, yeah, like do both. <laughs> well, yeah, while we're at it, let's do both. Well, that, that's, yeah. the, that's exactly like the, the accidentally liberal um, Twitter, right? You know, like pe people who they, they go, oh, what? So, um, so, so um, people just want to give free health care to everyone, do they? What next? Free housing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Next. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You're so close. But sounds great. But so in um, in terms of the team that you were on, you said like you saw a pattern of backlash. You saw a pattern of people being attacked, and you mentioned that one aspect of it was the idea of race trader. If it's a Japanese person who's yeah. saying something critical of Japan, do they get it worse? I I feel like the initial um uh harassment towards our Japanese member was the worst. Mm. Yeah. Um also because there there is a a sort of 
language gap that one of the struggles for deniers of the comfort women system being a coercive uh, system um, run by the Japanese military. So one of the uh, problems has been how to get this information into English in a way that people will consume in English. Mm. And so there is this language gap between what happens on Japanese Twitter and what happens on English language Twitter. Um, and so uh, there was also, you know, an ability to attack the Japanese member mm. or feel they could attack the Japanese member more freely in Japanese, especially because the non-Japanese members were accused of not speaking Japanese, you know, and being ignorant and not speaking Japanese. Yeah. Um, but then also there's really uh, not... Uh, it's not as effective to report harassment that is happening in Japanese on Twitter. Yes, this is a if huge problem. If you report problem. harassment that happens in English, um, it can be very uh, effective, is the word for yeah. that. But if you report it in Japanese, it's not Why as Why is effective. that? Is there just a smaller team in Japan that, that deals with it? That's my guess. Because but it's a smaller team. And I think also some of the terms are more contextual. Mm. Rather than straight up, uh, uh, I don't know. Japan is like a very eye-my nuanced language, and one of the <laughs> one of the side effects of that <laughs> yeah, is that here it's a lot easier. Here we go. Here we go. What are the side effects? Is it is it it takes two hundred and forty characters to say fuck you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. There's you have um, to understand Hashimoto. the subtextual racism to really get it. <laughs> And it's like, th yeah. this needs to be read because spring has come. This this particular conjugation of the verb needs to be read in conjunction with the changing of the season. And on that basis, what they're actually saying is, go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, this yeah. Twitter issue came up with, uh, what's her name? Hashimoto? The super... Hashimoto Kotre, yeah, the, I think is her name. Yeah. The super xenophobic woman who's tweeting all this disinformation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she... Um... I've been following her for a little while, but I just got blocked, so I can no longer do that. Um, and uh, so some good yeah, news this her... week. Yeah, I guess so. She's she's kind of I've watched a little bit of an evolution because she's trying very hard to break into politics, and I think it's pushing her into. Um, I think she thinks if she amasses this large Twitter following, it's basically the same as being a politician. Mm. I'm not really sure. I don't actually. I'm not very actually kuashi about her, but. She, uh, yeah, she's posted that it's impossible for Japanese people to really get sick from COVID. So it's these mixed race children or it's all foreigners who get COVID and then they come to Japan and overwhelm yeah. Jap the Japanese medical system. And then she, she posts like stuff that just like draw your own conclusions, dog whistles, where it's like, you know, they announced that so many people had COVID today and none, they didn't announce that any of them were Japanese nationals. Yeah, 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 I saw yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But she also, I, I really love this. She used to say that she was for women's rights. I'm I'm always very sensitive. I, I do gender studies, and so I'm always very sensitive to when women's rights are invoked to basically mean um, I, I, not, not for all women or for only uh, uh, cisgender women mm. or, you know, women's rights can be invoked in many interesting right. ways. Um, uh, but it has a level of popularity now, especially in Japan with womenomics, at least in rhetoric. Um, but she's dropped that, but she's for smokers' rights. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah. So that's a is that a thing? Smokers' rights in Japan? Well, I mean, it's a it's an issue that a lot of people care about. But I mean, yeah. and without wanting to get too academic, isn't the the point of a right that it is inalienable and it's attached to something which, like, can't be changed, right? Like, like a like a right shouldn't be attached to a status, should it? Right. Yes, that is correct. If you tweet that at Hashimoto Kotoe, you will one hundred percent be blocked. Okay. Cool. Because right. that really impinges upon her worldview. Yeah. All right. Well, well I mean, if enough, if she has to block enough people, then uh, you might find a politician coming out with like the uh, instead of the smokers' rights platform, the people who have been blocked by Hashimoto Kotoe rights platform. What is yeah, it? somebody already tweeted uh, like a uh, some merch. <laughs> no, I've been blocked by Hashimoto Kotoe. Bobby, this is what we should be doing. <laughs> I, I. Uh, I, I I think that is like um that is going to count against her, isn't it? Because wasn't there a case in the U.S. where someone uh, complained about the constitutionality of politicians blocking them if the politician is using their account for uh, as a means of public communication? Well, she's not technically a politician. She's is not she, technically anything. She's, she's she has got political ambitions. Yes. So do you reckon that's she's what trying. she has to do? Day one in office, scroll scroll through a long list. <laughs> and, and yeah. <laughs> A really, a really <laughs> undignified uh, sign-in, sw uh, swear-in ceremony. Okay, but you, but you come in, but you come in. The opposite of blockchain. Yeah. Hey. Isn't that that nice Rochelle? Video. Rochelle Cop is always is uh, touting blockchain as like a. Oh, I believe in yeah. it. So I mean, when we first started getting harassment, I was like, bring, bring it on because. Uh, the craziest showing. Yeah. And I actually don't want to say the craziest showing because that's really dismissive towards um, towards people with mental health issues because it's something different, yeah. right? Um, something different is going on. But it really the uh, this the way that the Neto Uyoku have um, learned to talk to each other developed in an echo chamber. Right. And then when the rest of the world is exposed to that um, – it they it doesn't make any sense well, to the rest of the world. I I think that's probably um, that you could probably say the same thing about the far left as well. Because what I find is that yeah. anybody who has kind of like philosophies that are on one extreme of the spectrum, there are people among that group that are good mouthpieces that are good at mm -hmm. you know focusing their arguments and communicating it in a way that will come across well to people in the middle. Mm -hmm. And if you're mm -hmm. not one of those people, you may have been convinced by one of those people. You may think all mm -hmm. of the same things that those people think. But if you were to ask mm -hmm. me to articulate those like super socialist points that I would vote for, I would not be able to make an argument. People would like yeah. if, if you had me argue with one of the right wing, well-spoken, articulate people, they would take me apart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote a book about the Japanese student movement and so having been having been deep in their rhetoric and what they wrote and and whatnot uh it, it does in some senses just become this echo chamber mm. and you're not really sure what concrete things people are attaching these ideas to yeah um very dogmatic and and stuff like that and and also um I think that's a uh, that can be a problem because then the talk or the terms you use are just like a code for um, I, I've talked to a lot of people using these words. Right.
Right. right. Yeah. But that, but I definitely get that sense. Like Bobby mentioned, I think it's equally true for the far left as it is the far right. That I, I get a sense, and I'm I'm thinking now in, in a UK context, uh, but I'm sure it's true for other parts of the world, that the that language that they they're kind of that there's a creation of this like euphemistic cloak around language. So like while there might be anti-masker rhetoric and people are talking about masks that there's actually a subtext that there's like some other fundamental freedoms which they consider are, mm. are, are, are under threat or mm. um i mean certainly certainly true for for anti-vaxxers or people in the uk that don't want the vaccine passport app and and i i, I and that's why i think like, that's why i think twitter is such a terrible medium for sorting this stuff out because people are quite literally arguing at cross purposes because yeah. what typically happens is uh someone uh, i'm thinking of lawrence fox who's a very very contra controversial political figure in the uk who, he's an actor who then tried to be a musician for a year and is now funded by some former conservative party donor to set up a new party called the reclaim party which is has a kind of a pro free speech platform right which like yeah ostensibly yeah good uh but on the other hand there are some like subtexts where the like the reason why he's building a broad base is he is allowing people to read in to like he's allowing his support base to read in some slightly more like i don't know nefarious or uh less conscionable policies which he is never articulating but mm -hmm. the the yeah. generally popular yeah people should be allowed to say what they want on campus or we shouldn't fire people for their political beliefs what that means is his supporters are going yeah i shouldn't be fired if i say i don't like black people now of course lawrence fox yeah. is never articulating that but that's what his supporters are are imputing it's I guess tucker right carlson word. in in america it's Tucker Carlson says all of these things that are subtextually racist and and stirs up this huge fan base. And then when his urban crime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like things like that. I should be clear. I don't think Lawrence yeah. Fox is a racist, by the way. He I, says I, the quiet should, part should quietly. And then when his supporters get that message and try to articulate themselves, it just turns into straight up uh, overt racism. I'm going to go ahead and, and show my hand here where I just don't think that there's I'm not a person in the middle. Like, I don't like this. Like, well, the far right has these extremes and the far left, but I'm a person in the middle. Like, I will definitely say that I'm on the on the left. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, me too. I think, <laughs> so I want to be like very clear yeah. that I think that this idea of neutrality is uh, it's an ideology masquerading yeah. as not being ideological is what I, yeah, yeah, I want yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally agree my, my point was that like I am 100% on the left but if you tried to put me in an argument with Jordan Peterson Jordan Peterson would oh, win the argument because I'm not as smart yeah. as he is and so when you talk about you know the comments where you can see the people who are who you you can tell that there's something going on internally with them that their comment says more about them than it does about what you're talking about yeah, what yeah. they're angry about, what they care about. Of all of the comments that you're getting, you're probably getting the followers who have a harder time mm -hmm. being on message. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if yeah. you've got like the leaders of the organizations, the reason they're the leaders of those organizations is yeah. because they can make their horrible racist message palatable. And that horrible racist, a... that horrible racist message is equally true for the far left and is the far right. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, uh, you can invoke free speech all you want. We're gonna shut it down. No, um, the we actually had a very interesting brush with, um, kind of what I'd also call the avant-garde of Twitter harassment in Japan. Huh. Um, 
in as much as so one of the first attacks came through to one of our Jap or to our one Japanese member, a woman. Um, and then when I I called this out as a, a kind of veiled threat, um, I I got the the wrath and I was you know quote unquote corrected by many of the followers, the one hundred and six thousand followers of this freelance journalist, um, whom who it turns out has had three online libel cases, huh. uh, at least one of which he settled by court order for a lot of money. So he's really playing with how far can you push yeah. this online? Um, and and he's been setting the, the goalposts. Yeah, setting them and then pushing them a little bit further and a little bit further. Exactly. Um, so it's interesting that we've already kind of mentioned that the level of vitriol that gets directed at you is different if you're seen as a race trader because you're Japanese. Um, how does being a woman affect it? Yeah, I think that, that way, there's uh, certainly an element to that. And we, of our, of our it was kind of a, an interesting sociological experiment inadvertently. Uh, there are five of us, um, four of us are women. One of those women is a Japanese woman and one is a is an American man, a white man. And he just really didn't get the same kind of harassment. Um, uh, our Japanese member got a really early pylon. Mm. Uh, then when I stepped into that, I got a pylon. I locked and blocked uh, and it passed. Um, but it keeps kind of resurging to... Um, uh, and uh, one of our female authors, the most senior scholar, has become kind of a fixation um, in many senses as well. Um, so, so there is that. And we've we've had conversations among ourselves, just uh, which is going to absolutely confirm whatever conspiracy theories there are about this. But spoiler alert, we do talk to each other yeah. <laughs> in our group of five. Um, but uh, so that that has been. Uh, interesting and you know i got the comments like typical feminist stuff mm. or whatever i i know we we spoke about this briefly when we had a chat yesterday uh, about the idea of kind of the the separation of the individual and their work right which i mean normally you, you think about uh, this kind of divide with an artist and their art but it's obviously equally true for academia isn't it and i mean certainly when i think about my uh academic studies where did you study i only? would I studied. Where did I study? Yeah, where did you? Where'd you go to school? Uh, have I mentioned this on the podcast before? I can't recall. Okay, well, Oxford University. Uh, but some, some. Oh, I've heard of that yeah. place. It's uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. They uh, something something that um that I tried to get out of the habit of doing was reading an article while thinking of the person who wrote it, because mm -hmm. you know it'd be very common, right? That we'd be reading uh, articles by people who I've visited their lecture or I've had a tutorial with them or I've seen them at a conference or whatever. And it's very easy to go, oh, well, this is typical swaddling. Of course he thinks, of course, because of all of his views on freedom of contract, of course that's what he's going to think. And it prejudices it, right? And it's much better, uh, it's much better if you, if you can, it's really hard to, but if you can read an article without thinking about who's written it and then later going, oh, okay, well, this now, this now makes sense in their kind of a broader body of work and of course we were talking about this uh in the context of that guy who i'm sure will come up in the main episode uh who got credibility by virtue of the fact that he's a harvard professor and arguably also a man etc etc um 
But if he didn't have all of that, if we unbundled his credibility from his work, his work might have less credibility. And so uh, I, I, I suppose that the bent of my question is, in some instances, having some kind of quote unquote lived experience or having some kind of relationship with your material is surely a good thing in many disciplines. But is there is there an argument that in academia, if 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 the if the work is going to stand on its own two feet, this kind of like working in teams of five and then publishing something anonymous, uh, such that or rather not anonymous, but publishing something so there's not a direct nexus between each individual author might start like protecting academics from this, or are we always going to be reading work in the context of who's written it? That was a long question. Well done, me. I mean, that's such an interesting question because. Uh... In as much as, um, well, you can't stand over the reader's shoulder, right? So if you write something, if you are not very clear and your evidence is not sufficient, uh, it it just can't stand. Um, and you can't just kind of be being like, well, I meant this. And I, you know, so there's kind of that <laughs> literally, element. That's literally what I do on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I meant by that Um uh, but there's also, you know, an element to it where um, whenever you're reading anything, I mean, how much is it just the author's work? Like, there's this joke, you know, like, thank you to my wife who typed up all the manuscripts and edited it. Like, this is a very common mm. thing you see in these introductions for these um, old books, usually mm. written by men, usually white men. Um, and you just have this lingering question, like, how much work did these wives do? to make this thing legible. Mm, yeah. you know, how much is this this person's work, right? Um, I, and then uh, all I can say about this kind of collaborative experience is um, it was kind of an intense version of peer review because we were always kind of checking each other's work. And um, I, I think I'm a, a, a believer in it in, it, in a certain senses. I've never really tried to do something so collaborative before in a certain sense. Um, but on the other hand, there's also accountability. Like, who can you hold accountable? Right. If my, there's a mistake in my book. I've had copy editors and friends read it. It's not their fault. It's mine. Right. Is, is your suggestion that it's impossible for someone to to read? Okay. So, I mean, let, let, why don't we, why don't we just talk about your book, right? Why don't we talk about Coed Revolution, right? Before it's, before we do that, okay, can, go on. can I jump back to just one point before we lose the yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's an argument against the point that you were taking about trying to kind of read the article divorced from paying attention to who wrote it. Just because, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, that idea that there are some people who have very clear political agendas that are very uh, persuasive and very good at using you know, statistics and information to make a compelling point. And if you – I mean I, I can think of a handful of times that I've read something and gone, oh, this is interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it that way and then looked at who wrote it and went, oh – Oh, that's a huge red flag. Um, and then also, right. just so but, but surely, but surely that's an argument against your point because if if what you read was persuasive and it was coherent and it made sense and it shifted your intellectual paradigm, but it's then selective. that has value. It, it's se selective use of information, right? I, okay. I would also say that sometimes it comes down to sources, especially if you're not uh, an expert in something. And this is where you know we just. We were going to write a rebuttal based on the arguments of this paper at face value, but then we just started looking at the use of sources, mm. and it was untenable just on the use of sources. Mm. And 
to a non-specialist or someone who cannot access Japanese materials, that would not necessarily be immediately apparent. I thought right. of the perfect example. There's an article going around right now that's called Japanese Homes Are Not Built to Last and Why That's a Good Thing. And it's one of these articles that it's somebody who learned one thing about Japan and ran with it. And it's this idea that homes are disposable. People don't live in uh, used houses. And how great that has been for the Japanese architecture industry and how it's inspired all of this creativity where you can go in and build, uh, build these beautiful artistic and very original buildings. And so my, my mom read this article and wanted to know all about it. And if you were to just read the article, it's very persuasive. And one of the things that it includes as a source is that there's some architectural design international award and more Japanese architects have won it than any other uh, nationality of architects. And so, so it has these little kernels of truth and these little facts that it uses to support its case that there is very creative Japanese architecture, that Japanese people don't tend to live in used homes, that uh, houses are considered kind of disposable. Once they're lived in, they devalue instantly. But it completely ignores the fact that the vast majority of homes built in Japan are prefab cookie cutter boxes oh and that there's a tradition of inheriting the family home, which is still mm. incredibly prevalent all over the country. And so for my mom to read this, not knowing anything about Japan, the article had her convinced that it was an architect's paradise and that you could you could get that anybody who, who mm -hmm. wasn't somehow super ultra rich could still have access to this world described in the article. Was this your way yeah. of, t of explaining to your mom that you need some money for your, <laughs> your house? <laughs> no. and, and I need money. <laughs> what the, um, I would also say that, that, yeah, in a world of like think tanks uh, that churn out these things, I think we also need to, to think about who's writing this and what is their background. But what I would say is that just because somebody is a professor at Harvard's, Harvard doesn't mean that you should be like, oh, this is probably the truth because this person's at Harvard. Yeah. I think yeah, that cool, cool. got us in Yeah, I might be a little bit biased because one time I read it, uh, there was this really bad Japan take article going around about dating in Japan that was um, super oh, sexist God. and super racist. Infamous, Yeah, and I, think. Uh, I yeah. saw somebody tweeting it and I read the article and started to jump into the pylon on Twitter and I tweeted out my critique of it and then realized that... Um, <laughs> It was written by a friend of mine in Tokyo. <laughs> so since then, I'm always very conscious of who's written the article that I'm reading. But I, I mean, I, I'm definitely with you on the like, just because just because he's from Harvard doesn't mean he's right. I mean, that's just true for any expert ever. I mean, one of the one of the things which I think people get wrong about experts all the time is experts are very, very likely to be wrong. Right, like just because you've you've reached the standard of expert doesn't mean that your your opinion is infallible, and that's why not only when an important decision is made, multiple experts are consulted, right? Because otherwise, why would you need more than one if they're always right? And also, like the the very point of being in academia is you challenge assumptions, and you know, like so so much of our most celebrated academics, from Einstein to Newton, got like shit loads wrong. Yeah. But their legacy is obviously based on the on the stuff which they got right. So, I, I definitely. You know, and 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 this is obviously not my thought, is it? Right? This um, you know, this basically got debunked as soon as uh, as soon as Plato put it out, which is like anyone who's smart should be in control. It's like no, just because you're smart doesn't mean you're right about everything, right? However, uh, I I I think that if we take the argument that well, just because 
just because they've got some credibility by being from uh you know by being a harvard academic that means that they've had to put in a certain amount of work they've had to reach a certain level of academic attainment blah 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 blah. you don't get that you don't get get that job for nothing i think it's like it's necessary to universalize this and that is that is to say right anybody who uh who wants to claim some degree of credibility by virtue of their own experience or by virtue of, of their background like it's it's probably fair game to still challenge that right it's like it's it's uh -huh. fair it's fair game to and and so my i guess the thing which the thing which i struggle with is i i like the idea of saying well actually i want to be able to accept people's viewpoints uh objectively of if there is such a thing i like i like the idea of 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 becoming the kind of person who can read something and separate the intellectual world which they've created from from that it from that individual but i've realized it's basically impossible and it might also be a bad thing because it means that i'm having to for example uh i mean one example i can think of is i i know that um someone from uh, a college i was affiliated with is doing a phd in revenge pornography right and and uh -huh. like the criminal justification for it like what why should it be criminalized and it occurred to me right that you don't do a phd like that unless you've got you've got a pretty good idea of what you want the outcome to be right like no no no, no, no one's going to go into the three year phd program and uh, on the, on the basis of finding a jurisprudential uh, justification for criminalizing re revenge porn and then end up going actually i can't find one right and 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 the reason for that is obviously like i'm 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 you know they've got a stake in it right like by being by virtue of being a woman and like every woman's got some example of uh of, of like either themselves or a friend where things have gone wrong right in, in that regard and so the, the 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 tension which i which i'm trying to resolve and i haven't really resolved it is on the one hand i would love i'd love to be, to be the kind of person that goes i'm going to take people's arguments as they come and i want to you know even people who i find generally objectionable if they have something to say on on on, on a particular issue i want to hear it hear their merits right on the other hand if i do that i then have to say well um, I can't take into account the important lived experience or background or motivate or motivation or whatever from people whose views I do align with. And I'm not sure if I'm ever going to find a, a resolution to this tension in my own lifetime. Yeah, I think it's an, a matter of limited time and resources. I mean, historians all day long, like there will be historians who are like, we've never looked at these sources before. And people have to think about, well, why look at these sources? The past is full of everything. Like literally everything that happened is in history or history is everything that ever happened. So which parts of it are you going to look at and why? And, and I think that it's personally, I think it's really important to think about like, well, what is important today and what kind of questions are we trying to answer today and to look at the past to try to think about today. And that doesn't mean that we are judging the past based on our present standards, it means that we have limited resources and limited time. And for me, it's just not enough for historians to pick up a shiny object of something that happened or some event and just be like, look, I figured out something that happened. Like, that's not enough. Mm. Right. And do you want people to read your work knowing about you? Like, does it, does it, I mean, I'll be honest, I've only read the first chapter of your, of your book because that's what was available. You read for, the whole chapter though. For Thank free you. online. Yeah, I, I, I plowed through it. Um, and it's good and it's great, but it was better for me for having spent an hour in your company, right? Like oh. I, I, I enjoyed it more for, for, for that reason. And also just, you know, knowing, you know, generally what your other work is about and generally knowing what your political persuasion is, right? Mm. It's like, I can understand why you're rooting for certain people, yeah. right? And like, but, but my question to you is like, is that a problem? 
Like, is, no. like could, could, could something in your personal life potentially undermine your work if you were somehow like if 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 I'm not suggesting this is likely to happen. Are but... you asking me if there's some skeleton <laughs> in my closet <laughs> that I should can reveal can we get, to you? Can we get some kind journalism. of scoop? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can can I discredit you sufficiently that I can uh, I can send a message to your publisher? No, but I mean, I, my my point Who's is, pay are you? Ali's in? actually a right wing <laughs> Japanese troll who went to Oxford and learned to speak English so we could do this interview and. Getcha. I'm what we got you. Got what a long game. <laughs> In the extras as I'm well. Glad behind, I'm married. Behind a paywall. There's only forty people that are ever gonna find out this scandal. Brian, uh, Ali's shit Japanese has been a hoax. <laughs> 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 uh, but okay, like but, Sean Connery when he when he pretends to be Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean d- my question is, does that does that concern you does it i mean and i'm not talking about you individually oh. i'm talking about gen- generally people who are open with their political persuasion right. and open with their and like you know for what it's worth and not that it should yeah. matter is like i agree with you like i i think yeah. i think based certainly based on our chat we're broadly politically aligned and that's that arguably made this book more enjoyable it's like yeah yeah come on uh but is that a concern that you know if, if you're somehow compromised yeah. or undermined then so is your work yeah well i mean the reverse also exists where I think my parents don't agree with me politically, uh, but they love my work. They bought a bunch of my books. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> okay. you know, um, uh, but but I think that so I, I understand academia and I might be a little different than people who maybe define themselves as a more pure historian or something. Um, but I, I do see myself as interested in a certain set of politics and uh and rooting for a, a certain side um and i think it's better for me to be very clear about that yeah i think that i don't believe in like a pure uh history a, approach of pure history mm. a pure examination of the past i think i do take sides with my history and i think i want to be very clear about that and very clear about who i'm reading for it feels more honest to me that way mm. and i also understand academic work is happening within a community and I don't think my work is going to last for the ages. I mean, I hope that the problems that I want to see resolved are resolved relatively quickly. And I hope that armies of grad students or other scholars or young people read my work and uh, take um, bits of it and critique it and extend it and challenge it and find the flaws and go beyond what I wrote. Mm. Can I ask one Hoping final question? Hoping that armies of them Reddit sounds very militant. <laughs> well, armies of um, Reddit, I mean, th- what you don't want is the opposite, which is Reddit armies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, can I ask one final question, which is, we can't settle on what now means, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's 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 like really hard to work out what's going on right now. But is it nevertheless, is, is, is it possible to get closer to the truth in retrospect than it is as we're examining the present? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yikes. I mean, <laughs> again, everything happened in history and everything's happening now. Um, well, I think that the comfort woman issue is actually a really interesting issue to look at that and this at this sense, right? Because, um, you know, there have been a lot of questions about the reliability of testimony mm. um, and the reliability of certain sources. Mm. And testimony was not necessarily considered a legitimate historical source until fairly recently. And actually... A lot of what the changed? Holocaust trials established testimony oh, okay. as a reliable source, um, which 
opened up uh, the possibility for other victims of wartime violence, particularly sexual violence or, or violence that could not be spoken about. We have to remember the Holocaust couldn't really be spoken about in an, on an individual level until the 1960s mm. too, right? So it's very difficult for people to speak about these things. So I don't know if we get closer to the truth, um, but I think that as our, our values change, uh, we open up different ways of reflecting on the past. Uh, and then it helps us understand what we think is important in our present to consider in our present. And I don't think we learn from the past and then we don't repeat mistakes. I think we make new mistakes. Right. Um, so there's little comfort in my view of this, but I do think that uh, there's little comfort in my view of this, I suppose. But, but basically your, your argument seems to be there's some kind of latent truth, that, that the benefit of hindsight is that like right now there's present day testimony, this present day experience, which we're not hearing, either by mm -hmm. virtue of the fact that these are people which don't have a platform or are yeah. silenced or whatever. And also they have to uh, compete with the mm -hmm. countervailing power of in incumbent power structures and propaganda yeah. and, and messaging. And so yeah. your argument seems to be well, with the benefit of time, those suppressed voices can come out of the woodwork and can have a platform, which is safer. And also your argument seems to be if uh, with the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of new values, what that seems to be is as uh, our national narratives start to change, as the, as the quality and quantity of the propaganda starts to diminish, then we're able to see these past sources in a new light again. I mean, that, that's a fairly hopeful way of looking at things, isn't it? Because that, that is to say, if only because actually that is to say, we can work even harder to get a better understanding of the truth today, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, by applying that method, if we elevate suppressed voices now and we start to tune out the these big incumbent frequencies, then actually we can do the job of a historian today. It's just harder. In a sense, yes. I mean, I think I think things really happened to real people, and I believe in facts, um, and I I do think that we can uncover certain truths, but but some things have been lost. I mean, there's also survivor's bias. Some things have been lost to us forever. Mm, right. Well, as long as we're uh, telling you what we think your opinions are, uh, is it safe <laughs> to say that uh, you also think that Ali and I are very charming? Whoa. <laughs> it seems to me what you're trying to say is, I'm a very handsome young man. Is that what you're trying to say? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, if you want to tell me what my job is, that's cool. Um, um, Welcome to, welcome to Mansplain Live. Come on up here. <laughs> <laughs>